And we are gathered in God's wonderful presence, so let's share the peace of Christ with each other. May the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. glad that you're here with us. On each one of the rows, there's a friendship pad, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let, let us know you're here and then pass it down the row, whether you're a visitor or regularly here with us. If you would grab the connections out of your bulletin, you can see some of the things that are going on. We have a number of our parish nurses over in Tankersley Hall this morning who are giving you free flu shots, courtesy of Hogue Hospital. And I just grabbed mine in between the service, and look, I'm still just fine, and I'm not fainting or anything. So you too can do that. Get your flu shot this morning over there. Uh, we are in the final stages of making our own church directory, and some of you, are, this is new news to you, and we would like you in it, whether you are a member or whether you just regularly attend. Several of you have said, oh, but I'm only here on the weekends. That's okay. If you're here and you consider us your church, we would like to have you in the directory if you would like to be in it. So we have three drafts out there at one of the carts. Whether you are a member or a visitor, go and check to see if your information's right. If you're, if you're not there, write yourself in if you would like to be there because we're going to get this thing together in just a few weeks. If you haven't yet submitted a picture to us for that, this is kind of your last chance to email in a picture that you'd like in there. Otherwise, you just look like a blank piece of paper, which is also fine if that's what you would like to look like. On the patio this morning, also, there's, there's an opportunity to register to vote. If you have not done that, or if you would like to change and be able to get a ballot at home, so you have a mail-in ballot, they can help you with that, too. A lot of people find that more convenient. There is also a Red Cross blood drive that is coming up in a, couple, in a week, and we need to have lots more people to give blood. They are taking sign-ups out there. There will be a congregational meeting November 4th, at 10 a.m., that's right at the beginning of this service, for about five minutes, to elect our officers for the next term. And also, our Grief at the Holidays class will be uh, on November 5th. It is a Monday afternoon. It is a one-time chance to talk about some of the strategies, if you have lost someone that you love, how some of the strategies of getting through the holidays, perhaps in a new way. That's often a very difficult time when you are grieving the loss of a loved one. <clears throat> and they have a lot of practical ideas for what uh, other people have found to be helpful. You are welcome to come to that without signing up. You are welcome to bring people from the community. It is a, always a wonderful chance to invite people from the community to be part of that. If you are on the third Friday board, this says your meeting is in Hills Hall, and it's not. It's in the bride's room. So I hope you can find that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray, Gareth. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully helpful to bring us into the fullness of who you are 
and who you have called us and created us to be. As we worship you in the Spirit and in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Will you join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find printed in, the, in your bulletin? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Teach, Teach us, Lord, to, to count our days, days that, that we may gain a wise heart. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let us stand and praise God together. Sing together, church.
stand redeemed by grace alone. I will wait for you, I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your word is my delight. I will Seeing that we have a great high priest who has entered the inmost heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us approach the throne of grace with fullest confidence that we may receive mercy for our failures and grace to help in time of need. In the strength of this assurance, let us confess our sins to God responsively. Eternal God, you do not change. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. You call us to worship you in spirit and truth. But we confess that we often worship not your true self, but who we wish you to be. We too often ask you to bless what we do, rather than seeking to be a blessing to you and others. Forgive, Forgive us, us for, for seeking concessions when what, what we really need is your guidance. guidance. Forgive us when, when our worship shapes you into what we want, rather than shaping us into what you want. Help us to meet you here, that we might bow before your overwhelming love. And so we bring to you the silent confessions of our hearts. For we come to you through Christ our Savior. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. To all who turn from sin in sorrow, to all who turn to God in hope, this is God's word of grace. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are loved. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our prayer for illumination this morning is sung. It's a song called Ancient Words. And the music is on the back of the music insert. And we're going to sing this refrain through three times together. Let's sing, church. Ancient words ever true.
servants are listening. Amen. And as we continue in the hard teachings of Jesus, maybe the most difficult one, Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will receive treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first the word of the Lord. Lay up your treasures in heaven, O people, lay up your treasures in glory, where nothing in this world can take them away. Oh, listen, people, hear the last to say, come and lay up your treasures in heaven, O people, lay up. Your treasures in glory, your treasures in this world will fade away, but the things of the Lord will last forevermore. The things that will 
last for eternity, come and lay up your treasures in heaven, O people, lay up your treasures in glory, where nothing in this world can take them away. Oh, listen, people, hear the master say, come and lay up your treasures in heaven, O people, lay up your treasures in glory, your treasures in this world will fade away. But the things of the Lord will last forevermore, forevermore. Some people boast in their silver and gold. They put their faith in the wealth they hold. But fortunes will fade and kingdoms fall. So put your trust in the Lord of all. Won't you lay up your treasures in heaven? Oh, people, lay up. Your treasures in glory, where nothing in this world can take them away. Oh, listen, people, hear the master say, come and lay up your treasures in heaven. Oh, people, lay up your treasures in glory. Your treasures in this world will fade away, but the things of the Lord will last forevermore. It's a happy time, so let's take an offering. <laughs> this past week, a friend of mine sent me a cartoon about heaven. This is a text partly about how to get into heaven, and so we think it's appropriate to share a cartoon about heaven. So St. Peter is at the gates welcoming a whole group of people who look a little bit like tourists. Welcome to heaven. I understand you all are all the group who watched church on television. So now we brought you to a special place where you can watch heaven on television. What we do here on earth has an impact on what we have and who we are in heaven. Jesus teaches that over and over again. Jesus calls us to action that has eternal and heavenly consequences. And those heavenly consequences impact life now and impact life forever. I grew up in a family that of pretty humble means. We were kind of on the edge of poverty for many years. We lived in a 1,200 square foot house. There were nine of us. We had one bathroom. I look back on those days and wonder how we made it through there because you see a lot of those family members grew up to be rather of significant size. There just wasn't enough space. So when I went to college, University of California at Riverside, I didn't get there because I had a lot of money. I was putting myself through school, and it wasn't long after I'd been there for a while that a family 
a church family in Riverside adopted me and pretty much took me under their wing. They had quite a bit of money from two or three generations of wealth. And so with them, I had my first piece of strawberry pie on a Sunday brunch. They also bought me at one point for my birthday a really, really nice teal shirt. As I look back, that would have been very appropriate for me to have on today. They were the first family to invite me to that new place that I'd only heard of but never been to called Laguna Beach and brought me here for two days stay. They were very comfortable at sharing their wealth with me. And I am who I am today because they put a lot of investment into me as a human being. The rich young man that came to Jesus wanted to be able to make sure, like he'd done with the rest of his life, that he made a good investment that would not only have an impact in this world, but for the world to come. You knew that he was uh, very entrepreneurial and energetic because he came running up to Jesus. You knew that he was humble because he knelt in front of him. Isn't that the kind of person that we want all of our children to be? Very energetic, successful, and humble at the same time. Wow. I'll bet his parents were very proud. Contrary to what some people do when they look at this story, they want to make that rich young ruler look bad, but there isn't really anything in the text that suggests that Jesus was displeased with him. In fact, everything suggests the opposite. Jesus looked at him a long time, and as he looked at him, he began to more and more love him. There was something special about this young man. And the disciples realized that he was special too because the disciples looked at him and he must have embodied everything they were hoping to become when Jesus came into his kingdom. Humble, young, powerful, and wealthy. That kind of resonates in everything the disciples talked about on the way with Jesus. And not only was the young man shocked when Jesus said, now if you really want to inherit the kingdom of God, you really need to go and sell everything you've got and give everything to the poor. That was absolutely beyond his wildest imagination. That wouldn't have functioned in his culture where the young men of success were considered to be the responsible ones to care for their parents in their old age, to care for the entire village they've come from, to make sure the village is in good standing, and to care for the entire tribe. They were the responsible, good people, and he was the epitome of that. The disciples are shocked because they believe that his, this young man was the epitome of the kind of person that God wanted human beings to be, particularly responsible young men like them. Peter would say, Jesus, we've, 
we've left everything to follow you and you're saying this guy should give it all away? That means, what does that mean for us? We've left everything for you. Jesus kind of reassuringly says to Peter, but you're going to gain back a hundred times what you've given up in houses, in family, in children. A hundred times your investment. That must have given Peter some pause because it was in this world and the next that Jesus was talking about. Well, that's pretty good news. Okay, it's worth the investment. You know, there's a period of time in the history of this country where there were some stocks that have increased a hundredfold. Not many. From 1989 to 1999, if you own Dell stock, that increased fairly substantially. If you had $10,000 invested in Dell stock in 1989, by 1999, that would have been worth $8.9 million. A pretty good investment. That was beyond what Jesus said would be the return that the rich kind of ruler would have, by the way, of 100 times. That stock increased 890 times. So we look to good investors and we say those people are sharp and they make good investments and they are guaranteeing their future and their family with a wonderful inheritance. And so this young man isn't really someone we sneer at or we try to demean, but this is the young man we hope all of our children turn out to be. Successful, bright, energetic, and humble, and wealthy on top of that. Every American parent's dream. So it was very shocking for Jesus to say, these words, I want you to go and sell everything you have and give everything to the poor. And then I want you to come and follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. It simply doesn't compute. Particularly if you're living in a theology where it says wealth is a demonstrated sign of God's blessing in your life. That's the kind of blessing that we also talk about today. How are things going with you? Oh, I'm greatly blessed. My kids are healthy, my marriage is intact. My investments have done very well, and I've got a good retirement. And you kind of heave a sigh of, isn't that good? And so this whole framework of good permeates the text. How do we understand good? Well, the young, rich young man understood good as epitomized in Jesus. You're good, Jesus. And you would probably have said to the rich man, you're good too. It takes one to know one. The disciples surely thought he was good. You know, this word good comes from an ancient perspective out of the Old Testament. In the very first chapter of Genesis, Moses really plays up the word good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the first day it was good. And on the second day, it was good. On the third day, it was good. The fourth day, good. The fifth day, good. And on the sixth day, it was really good. 
Or as the president of Princeton, Tom Gillespie, said, it was damn good that day. God had made humanity. Moses understood that term good very personally. If you read Exodus chapter 18, you find what's going on in Moses' life. He has ascended to a very powerful place. He is the prime leader of all of Israel. He is the person to whom they go to for advice and counsel. He is the one who sits in judgment of their concerns and their frustrations with each other day and night. Moses' father-in-law comes to him because he's concerned for Moses. You see, Moses sent his wife and his kids away to go live with the father-in-law. And he brings them back. This is very personal household family stuff. And he looks at what Moses is doing. And he says, Moses, what you're doing, having all these people stand around you from morning to afternoon through the evening, being dependent upon you alone as the only leader making all the judgments is not good. Hmm. You don't have time for your wife and your children. You sent them away. Wow, does that sound familiar? So what does the father-in-law say? He says, Moses, you need to learn to share the power of your position. You need to train other leaders. You need to empower them to take responsibility. You need to get out of the middle of a lot of this and just deal with some of the big stuff yourself. But you need to pass on the wealth of leadership to lots of other people so that you have time for your wife and your kids. Moses personally learned what it meant to be good. It was to share the wealth that God had given to him which is not a natural human instinct, by the way. As we consider this message as a message from God, we discover that this instinct to share the stuff that God has given to us that is a blessing and good really only comes from God's passion in our lives. You see, from our own standpoint, there is no human way a wealthy young man's going to go and sell everything he has and give it to the poor and still be a responsible son and leader of the village. He's guaranteed the poverty of his family and the village for the rest of time. That's not good from their perspective. But Jesus' message is clear. What we human beings don't want to do, don't think we can do, it's absolutely impossible. That's the word that means power. It means that we are absolutely powerless in our own ability to make that happen because we don't have the desire to do it. But then Jesus says, but God can give you the desire. God can help you do that. So here's this wonderful flow of relationship that Jesus has with this young man where he loves them and then tells them something impossible to do. He is shocked and he is grieved and he walks away in sadness. And the disciples are shocked and grieved and astounded. Nobody's happy here. 
And I think Jesus has got the message across. With us as human beings, it's impossible. But with God, God actually makes these kinds of changes in life possible. God helped Moses to change. God helped probably the rich young ruler to change. There's no follow-up story about this, but if you go to Acts chapter 2, you find there's a story of how the early church shared their wealth together. They didn't want anybody to be in poverty, and so they came and brought their lands and sold them and put the money at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed it so that all of the poor could have the support along with the rest. And in there, there's the example, positive example, of a young man by the name of Barnabas. There are some who think that this rich young ruler may have been Barnabas. And what did he learn to do? He learned to share his wealth and to support a lot of people. When I was in the Bethlehem Church back in the 90s, we had a fellow in the church who had aged ungracefully. His name was Bob. I don't know what it is about people with the name Bob. They seem to come into my life as a little bit of pains. My apologies if your name is Bob. <laughs> Bob had been the economist for the Bethlehem Steel Company, which at that point was dying and fading away. Bob was retired and he was getting older, and the older he got, the grumpier he got. Nobody wanted to be around Bob because Bob made you uncomfortable, not only by his lack of social grace, but by his intentional desire to push you away. And so I was one of the newer pastors into that church and Bob came to visit me and it was almost like, well, I've tried the other pastors and they've all decided I'm not worth it. So let's see what you have to say. Well, Bob started telling me a story and he says, you know, I don't have anything I would like to invest in this church. They asked me to donate money to the capital fund campaign and I said, I'm not going to put another cent into the buildings of this church. I said, well, Bob, do you have something else you would rather invest in? He said, yes. I would rather put my money into a class I would teach on Christian social ethics. And I'm thinking to myself, this is one of the most socially inept persons I've ever met. <laughs> Bob, did you have another option? <laughs> no, that's what I want. I said, Bob, tell me about that. And the longer I listened to Bob and talked to Bob, the more that grumpy old facade just kind of disappeared, and underneath that I saw a man who really cares about other human beings, who'd become wealthy, and one of his ways of dealing with his aloneness and his wealthiness was to push people away, but underneath was a desire to serve. So as Bob told me the story about the class, he says, you know, I want to support bringing in social ethicists from around the country to help us take responsibility for how we live our Christian lives in our culture and our society. I said, well, Bob, how much money did you want to invest in this class? Now, this is the Bob who wouldn't give a cent to the building campaign. 
he immediately said, I want to put $150,000 into this. And I, my draw just kind of dropped open there. This is the Bob who wouldn't give anything to anyone. And he had some kind of passion that God had put on his heart to do something positive for the church. And that happened. The grace of God will take us when it's an impossibility and transform us to be a person of giving quality when people would unexpect it. When I was at the National Presbyterian Church after leaving Bethlehem, the associate pastor in that church was a wonderful elderly man by the name of Harry, and Harry did all the hospital calls. Harry was this wonderful, gracious presence, just one of the kindest human beings I'd ever met. One evening, while he was making the hospital calls for members of the church, a nurse came up to him and said, Harry, there's a woman over here who's dying. She doesn't have any family. As far as we can tell, she didn't have any friends. Nobody has visited her. And we're wondering if you would come in and say a prayer before she dies. So Harry went in and sat with her and talked to her and she was a faint whisper and he prayed with her and then he left and a couple days later this lady died about a month later we got a piece of mail it was from a law firm in Washington DC and we opened it up and it said you are now the inheritors of 3.5 million dollars from that woman who was alone in the hospital No one had been there except for Harry when she needed somebody to love her as a human being. Now, I'm not saying we pastors are going to go visit and you all are going to give $3.5 million. <laughs> Although you might want to think about that. No, what I'm saying is God makes the impossible possible. And we can't. It's not up to me to change your attitude about your money or your time or your wealth. But God can literally turn you into a person that wants to share it all. And the disciples discovered that. Many of you have discovered that. And the rich young man discovered it. May the Lord God help us to become people who are transformed by the gracious, loving presence of Jesus who can turn impossibilities into powerful, generous, giving people. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the only one who can touch us so deeply with your love as you look upon us, that we literally just want to free it all up and give it all away. Touch us that deeply that we might, in our resistance and our grief and our astoundedness, begin to turn into people who share our wealth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith using the words of the Heidelberg Confession. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That, that I belong, belong 
body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Please be seated. As we look to the Lord in prayer, I will pray a few sentences and will say, Lord, in your mercy, and would you please respond with, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love that surrounds our lives every day, even when we do not recognize your presence. You call us to follow you, even though you knew, know that our hearts are at times divided. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We come to you as people who hardly dare hope for a second chance. Yet you continue to welcome us with your grace. We hold before you this day, this morning, all who need a second chance at life at love, at faith in you. May your grace give new hope to find life even in the very midst of failure. Lord, in your mercy, hear our, our prayer. prayer. We pray for those who live with bitter regrets, for loving relationships brought to ruin, for opportunities freely given and woefully abused, for the bitterness of defeat or betrayal at another's hand or failure in personal integrity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift before you all who cry out for help today, for the people in Florida trying to rebuild life in the wake of Hurricane Michael, for victims of abuse and injustice, for those who cry out for healing and for peace and for enough to eat. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Through our struggle and confusion, heal us, each one of us, and use us that we might be answers to the prayers of others. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who told us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the and glory, glory forever. forever. Amen. Let us now worship the Lord with our tithes, our offerings, and our gifts. Serve, I'll serve. 
every good and perfect gift, hear our prayer of thanksgiving. We live in your world, and we treasure our relationship with you. You have blessed us in so many ways. Family and friends, good fortune, challenges. You brought us together to learn about you and to grow more and more into the life as a follower of Jesus. Bless these gifts we bring today for the furtherance of your kingdom. And may they be seen by you, O Lord, as a generous response to all that we have received from your loving and caring hands. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. to make it into heaven and have a place. Ken Blanchard, a business consultant who learned to follow Jesus, told a story at one of his business gatherings about the difference between heaven and hell. He said he was invited to walk into a large room where there was a lot of food. It was a huge banquet, and everybody in the room was broken. They had broken arms. They were in full casts, 
and the food was everywhere, and they tried to feed themselves. But with a broken arm and a cast, you can't feed yourself. He said, that's hell. He was taken to another place where it was heaven, and it was the same kind of a thing. Large room with lots of food. People with broken arms and full casts, but everyone was happy because they had learned to feed each other. And that's what it means to share the wealth. What God has given to us to be blessed, even in our brokenness, to bless others. So go in the grace, mercy, and love of our Lord Jesus Christ and pour out that upon the people in your life. Share the wealth. Amen. Amen.